0: All right, let's get started. Father, thank you for today. Uh, Again, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word, to learn more of the Holy Spirit, and just pray that uh, this would clarify any misunderstanding that we have, uh, certainly grow our awe of you and uh, our desire to please you, help us to be better equipped to serve you. Pray that all that we do would glorify and honor you, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So last week I said that I was going to talk about Crossway's view on uh, the miraculous miraculous or the sign gifts, and uh, I said that we are cessationists, which is the view that the Holy Spirit ceased dispensing those miraculous gifts within the church at the end of the apostolic era and with the completion of the New Testament scriptures. Cessationists do not believe that the Holy Spirit has ceased to operate in the current church age, Quite the contrary, the Holy Spirit is extremely active in every facet of the individual's individual believer's life in the church, working out in the world all that God has ordained. He's active in salvation and sanctification, gifting uh, for the benefit of the church, glorification, illumination, guidance, and so on and so on. Our position is simply that the miraculous gifts, gifts of prophecy, miracles, healing, tongues, interpretation in tongues, and apostleship are no longer given. They are no longer in operation within the church today. Now, I do want to say that there are many godly, charismatic believers who love the Lord. They understand and preach the gospel, but they disagree with this position, and they are what we call continuationists. They believe that the miraculous gifts continue uh, to this day, but we believe that their position is biblically weak, and even their so called experiences of these gifts is nothing like what we see manifested uh, in the gifts of the New Testament in uh, the first century church. So uh, let me give you a couple of reasons, a couple of reasons why we hold to the cessationist position and some of this is going to be review because i've covered a lot of these issues over the last several weeks first of all let me uh, address the gift or the office of apostle and also the gift of prophecy <clears throat> they are intertwined somewhat so the church the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets paul says this in Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And then everything that we need to know regarding salvation, sanctification, the will of God has been given to us By the Holy Spirit through the prophetic ministry of the apostles and a few other prophets New Testament era. And the Spirit inspired and directed the writings that they recorded that make up the New Testament. A couple of the passages that affirm this, Second Peter one three three four three through four. We've seen these passages before, but 2 Peter says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Those are contained in the scriptures. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And then 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I don't know what more we think we might need in the way of prophetic revelation if what we have in the New Testament, Old and New Testament scriptures is sufficient for us to become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, it enables us to become like Christ. And if we're made complete, if we're equipped for every good work, what more do we need? What more do we need in the way of revelation? I I don't think we need any more. And if we're made complete, if we are made Christ-like, there's just nothing to add to that. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways, and in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son." The ultimate revelation of God and his will for us is in Jesus Christ. That revelation is complete and sufficient. It is recorded by the New Testament prophets and apostles. Jude 3 says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And when he speaks about contending for the faith, he's referring to the gospel and the doctrines of the faith that are contained in the Scriptures. And the statement, once for all, should be understood as referring to the, the finality and the completion of that revelation. So, there is no need for further revelation through prophets or the gift of prophecy. What we have is complete, and it is more sufficient we have all that we need for life and godliness in the scriptures that have been given and also the apostles were those who had actually seen the risen christ and had been specially commissioned by him so when the original apostles died they weren't replaced And Paul refers to himself as the last apostle in 1 Corinthians 15, eight. And then when the apostle John died, and that was somewhere around A.D. 98, that was the end of the apostles. They were never replaced. There were no more apostles after John died. And uh, there are no apostles today, I mentioned that before. You may, certainly we saw it when we were living in Kenya, billboards, you know, advertising that the church, you know, some church on the corner was led by uh, an apostle. That clearly is not the case. Last apostle died, prophecy ceased, and that was the end of the apostolic era. Now, another gift that is related to the apostles is that of miracles and healing Uh, Those are two of the big sign gifts that are affirmed by the continuationists as still being in operation today. But if you look at the biblical record, if you read through the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, the actual occurrence of miracles is pretty sparse. In fact, you'll find that the working of miracles through men who have been gifted by God for that purpose, is confined to three really short periods uh, in biblical history. And the combination of those three periods totals about 200 years out of the thousands and thousands of years of recorded biblical history. And those periods include the time of Moses and Joshua Then Elijah and Elisha, and finally, the incarnation of Christ in the apostolic period. So, what was the purpose of gifting these men with the ability to perform miracles? Pretty much the same in in all periods. With Moses, the purpose was to validate his ministry as God's appointed deliverer of Israel, And it was further to show Pharaoh and the people of Israel that Yahweh is God and not Pharaoh and certainly not the so-called gods of Egypt. Then with Elijah, it was to validate his ministry and to show that Yahweh is God and not Baal or Baal. Then with Jesus, it was to show Israel that Jesus was the promised Messiah and that he was God in the flesh. And with the apostles, it was to validate their apostolic ministry and um, to validate validate the fact that they were appointed by and commissioned by Christ, by God. Acts 2.43 says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Acts 5.12 Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, that working miracles was the sign of a true apostle. The signs of a true apostle were worked out among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. And a few examples of the miracles I mentioned these, I think, last week or the week before, was when Tabitha was raised from the dead by Peter in Acts 9, and Eutychus was raised from the dead by Paul in Acts 20. And uh, healing healing would be included in the gift of uh, miracles as well, kind of a sub-gift of miracles. Uh, It is the spirit-enabled ability. Miraculous ability to completely restore to health and wholeness, regardless of the physical illness or disability. The blind were made to see, lepers were cured, the lame could walk, the dead were raised. Uh, These things defy natural law, and they were performed by Jesus and the apostles. Now, aside from these specific instances attributing the performance of miracles and healing to the apostles, uh, the only other instance of healing or miracles, <clears throat> aside from Jesus performing miracles, is when Jesus sends out the 72 in Luke 10 to preach the kingdom, and he gives them the power to heal. And I think it can be argued that even in that case, the purpose of granting the ability to heal was to authenticate these 72 that were being sent out by Jesus to preach or represent him. So it was authenticating their ministry and being commissioned by Jesus. Now, what you don't see recorded in the New Testament is miracles and healing being attributed to or being performed by anyone other than these individuals in Luke 10 or the apostles or Jesus. It's also an interesting point that early on in the book of Acts, you see lots of healings, lots of miracles taking place. Uh, But then, later on in Acts, the occurrence of those healings and miracles diminishes and eventually fades out. Early on, Paul was able to heal everyone that came to him uh, on the island of Malta, that's in Acts 28.9. But later in his letters, you see that he could no longer heal or he was no longer healing anybody, including himself. He didn't heal Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.23. He didn't heal Trophimus and 2 Timothy 4.20, and he didn't heal Epaphroditus in Philippians 2.26. Now, As the apostolic era was coming to a close, the record of miracles and healing also came to an end. Now, with the gift of tongues, this, and we went over this two weeks ago, I think it was. This was only recorded a few times in Acts, and I talked about this. Um, It was in relation to the baptism and filling of the Holy Spirit, It's recorded as occurring at Pentecost and then only a few more times after that at Cornelius' house and with the 12 in Acts 20. The gift enabled people to speak in foreign languages that they had never studied or known before. It was a sign that God was doing something new. It was actually a sign of the new covenant making all people groups his people, Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles, we're now included in the new covenant. <coughs> All were being saved. Some charismatics argue that the gift that's described by Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is actually different from the foreign languages that were spoken at Pentecost. Uh, they are ecstatic utterances, not human languages. The argument really has no merit, though, because the word that is used in 1 Corinthians, or the word in 1 Corinthians that's translated as tongues, is glossa, and that refers to a structured language or a decipherable decipherable linguistic code. It's referring to a legitimate language. It's not ecstatic speech or free vocalization and when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 2 that no one understands those speaking in tongues because they utter mysteries he's not saying that the gift is different from that at Pentecost but rather if no one knows the language that's being spoken then it's a mystery and that's why you had to have an interpreter if you were speaking in tongues later on First Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13.1, when Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of angels, he's not saying that he does speak with the tongues of angels. He's using hyperbole to make a point about love's superiority to the gift. <clears throat> he's not saying he actually, again, speaks with an angelic language. He says, if, so it's basically a rhetorical question or in the form of a rhetorical question, And also, if you, this is another argument that I didn't include <clears throat> in my notes, but any time there was actually an angelic appearance, when the angels spoke to the people there, they they spoke in a language that they understood. They spoke in the language of the people that they were speaking to. It wasn't some undecipherable angelic language. Anyway, the fact that there is a gift of interpretation also indicates that these are known languages. Now, another point about tongues is that the gift <coughs> was intended to be a sign for unbelievers, particularly unbelieving Israel. 1 Corinthians 14 21 through 22 says, In the law it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people and even when they will not listen to me says the lord thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers while prophecy is a sign not for <clears throat> unbelievers but for believers and still another point is that if tongues <clears throat> was to be used in the church only two or three people were to do so at a time in proper order, and there had to be somebody to interpret that language, 1 Corinthians 14, 27. This is not how you see the gift of tongues manifested in Pentecostal or charismatic churches today. First of all, it's never a known language. It's Always unintelligible, ecstatic vocalization. Uh, There are usually multiple speaking, multiple people speaking at one time. Sometimes the entire church is speaking in so-called tongues, and there's almost never an interpreter. Now, I attended a church like that back in the 80s, and we would have these afterglow services in the evening, and I think I was the only person who was not speaking in tongues. There were 100, 150 people in the auditorium, and everybody was speaking in tongues, and it was all these bizarre, I mean, it kind of sounded similar to some language, but it was these repeated sounds over and over and over again, not what you see in the New Testament. Okay. The New Testament gift of tongues, like I said before, uh, what we see recorded in Acts was, in fact, um, known languages. <clears throat> Finally, Paul says that the gift of tongues, like prophecy, will come to an end in 1 Corinthians thirteen eight through 10. Says love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now the verb that's used in regards to tongues, ceasing, has the meaning of they will cease on their own. It is not dependent on the perfect coming, which is likely a reference to the eternal state when there will when we will no longer know in part, uh, but we will know, be known fully and we will know fully. Some people uh, think that that reference, um, when the perfect comes, is a reference to the completion of the New Testament scriptures. That is a possibility. Now, another argument <clears throat> that the miraculous or signed gifts like miracles, healing tongues have ceased is that These aren't mentioned in any of the later epistles, like Romans and Ephesians, but the other non-miraculous gifts are. Also, there is evidence from church history. Uh, The post-apostolic church fathers like Justin Martyr, Origen, Chrysostom, and Augustine considered tongues, and the miraculous gifts to have been unique to the earlier church in the apostolic era. And this is, their writings are just a few hundred years after the death of John. And primarily, as mentioned earlier, they were uh, the means of authenticating apostolic ministry. Tongues was a sign of the new covenant inclusion of all people groups. And then from the apostolic <clears throat> period forward, for nearly 2,000 years, You don't see these gifts manifested except in a few rare occurrences, and those occurrences were in aberrant cults that were not Christian. I'll also um, say, and I didn't include this in my notes, but uh, almost every major religion, Hinduism, Islam, I'm not sure about Buddhism, but I know for certain that in Hinduism and in Islam, they have cults within those religions that manifest the so-called gift of tongues. And it is identical to what you see being manifested um, in, the, in the current uh, charismatic and Pentecostal circles. They are almost identical. I'll, I'll get to questions at the end. Okay? Okay. So, quick summary (coughs) of our cessationist view. Number one, uh, the office gift of apostle was given to establish the church. Uh, They were the foundation upon which the church is being built by the Holy Spirit into the temple of God, Ephesians 2, 20 and 22, or through 22. With the death of John, the apostolic era ended. There are no apostles today, as an apostle had to have seen The risen christ and been specifically commissioned by christ to that office number two the gift of prophet or the gift of prophecy was also foundational to the church no longer an operation Uh, those with the gift including the apostles were inspired and guided in writing uh, the new testament scriptures as well as giving guidance to the early church once the scriptures were complete there was no longer a need for the gift as the word of the Lord was complete, sufficient, authoritative and without error. Also, there is no such thing as fallible prophecy as some today would claim. I think I mentioned that last week. You find that in Deuteronomy 18:22. Number 3. The gifts of miracles <clears throat> and healing were given to a limited number of individuals throughout biblical history in order to authenticate their ministry by displaying God's power through them. In the case of Jesus and the apostles, the blind were given sight, lepers were healed, the crippled were able to walk, and the dead were raised. Unlike today's so-called healings, which consist of minor ailments, such as ringing in the ears, back and joint pain, stomach aches, etc., the apostolic miracles and healing were immediate. They didn't involve people parading and dancing around on stages. It involved loud music or a healer shouting or slapping or knocking people down, like you see in the so called healing services today. Number four, the gift of tongues were known languages it required and could be interpreted it was assigned to unbelievers and unbelieving Israel in particular at the birth of the church at pentecost that all people were being saved and made the people of god also i forgot to mention that paul says that not everyone will have this gift and that it's less desirable a less desirable gift than others in some churches They will teach that if you do not speak in tongues, you are not born again. That is not what Scripture teaches. Uh, Tongues interpretation. I'm sorry. um, Paul says also that the gift will cease, and there's no mention of the gift uh, later on in Acts and in later epistles. Number five, tongues interpretation, prophecy, miracles, and healing after the apostolic era, are not seen again throughout church history. What is seen at the beginning of the 20th century and claimed to be the miraculous gifts, the Azusa Street Revival, are nothing like the gifts of the New Testament era. The definition, description, and prescribed use of the gifts must be governed by the authoritative Word of God rather than subjective Uh, and often unverifiable human experience. Number seven, finally, we do affirm that God still heals and works miracles today. The Holy Spirit still heals, still works miracles, and we should pray that God will heal. We should pray that God will work miracles, because he does. And we should expect God to work supernaturally. But don't expect that healing or that miracle working to come through an individual in the church or a supposed healer on TV or at a healing service or a charismatic revival. If God wants to heal or work miracles, he will, and he does. I would say that much of his providential work is even miraculous, and that reminds me of um, my own story. When I was diagnosed 20 or so years ago with colon cancer, and it had metastasized into my lymph system, my oncologist, who was a believer, he told me, we can do surgery We can radiate your cancer, and we can give you chemotherapy, but we cannot cure you. Only God can cure you. So if the Lord wants you to be healed, you'll be healed. Now, he did all that stuff to me, but qualified it. If it was God's will, all that stuff would work. Uh, If it was not God's will for me to be healed, uh, there would be nothing that they could do um, to do something different. If God didn't want me to be healed, uh, I wouldn't be healed, but I was. And I think, like I said before, much of God's providential work is, in fact, miraculous, even as he works through the gift of medicine and medical technology. Now, I want to talk about something that's sort of related and a practice or a phenomena that you might have seen or you will see in a charismatic or a Pentecostal service or event. <clears throat> Liz and I were actually watching this on YouTube last night, and it was it was appalling. I could not. I mean, it was the worst example of this I've ever seen. And this is being slain in the Spirit or being slain by the Holy Spirit. What this means is that when an individual receives a special touch from the Holy Spirit or a special manifestation of God's power through the Spirit comes upon someone, it knocks them to the ground. The Holy Spirit presence or touch is usually through a pastor or a specially gifted individual that lays hands on, blows on, waves his jacket at, or shouts words like fire or touch and this causes the person touched by the spirit to lose control and fall to the ground. In the case of the, what we were watching last night, it was a woman who was doing all of this, and she was speaking in tongues the whole time, or she was babbling the whole time. Nobody was interpreting. And sometimes people who've been supposedly slain in the spirit will lay on the ground, making strange noises, sobbing, laughing uncontrollably, barking like a dog, shaking, convulsing, or writhing on the floor, and sometimes they can't stand up again for hours. This is claimed to be necessary for people to be renewed, to be spiritually healed, and to be filled with the Spirit. So... What does the Bible say about being slain in the spirit? Anybody want to take a guess on that? It doesn't say anything, okay? Absolutely nothing. Well, there's, yeah, I was going to get to that. Probably the only example, but it's not what this is about. Literally slain in the spirit. That's right. You stole my punchline, Liz. (laughs) Anyway, um, scripture says that when the Holy Spirit convicts, anoints, fills, empowers, baptizes, gives gifts to, illuminates, guides, or hinders, you never see anybody falling on the ground, making strange noises, sobbing or laughing uncontrollably, barking like a dog, shaking or writhing on the ground. That never happens. People or churches that slay in the spirit will quote a couple of Bible verses to support the practice, but those quotes are taken way out of context, and they uh, interpret in a way that no reputable Bible scholar or theologian would ever agree with. One of those passages is John 18, 5 through 6. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with, him, with them. Uh, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So they'll say, see, Jesus said, I am he, and they fell to the ground. They were slain in the spirit. <clears throat> but the actual context here is Jesus was confronted by Judas and those who were going to crucify him And they fell to the ground when he declared who he is, which was a sign of his power, authority, and sovereignty over them. And they fell down in fear. But there's a difference between this incident and the practice today. First of all, these men were enemies of Jesus. They were not believers. And this did not give these men any special anointing from the Spirit from the Spirit. They were not filled with the Holy Spirit, and there was no uncontrolled euphoric experience. They didn't lay on the ground making strange noises, sobbing or laughing or barking like a dog, shaking or convulsing, and they certainly weren't healed. They certainly were not filled with the Spirit, and immediately after they fell to the ground, they got back up, arrested Jesus, and crucified Him. So, this passage is definitely not an example of being slain in the Spirit, and there aren't any others. So, what is going on when someone is supposedly slain in the Spirit and falls to the floor manifests all those strange symptoms? Well, I'm going to give you a list of possibilities that was put together by Kosti Hinn. He's the nephew of Benny Hinn. Who is always slaying people in the spirit? He's one of the guys that will fling his jacket at people, and they'll be slain. Costi was part of that whole unbiblical ministry till he rejected those false teachings and practices and embraced Orthodox biblical doctrine and Orthodox biblical practice. And here's what he says was going on and what he observed when he was involved in Benny Hinn's ministry. Number one, people think they have to fall down. Peer pressure is very strong, and nobody wants to look like they're not getting the anointing or that they don't want to make the preacher look bad. Sometimes children see their parents doing it, so they fall down following their example. And visitors who come to these services think that they have to fall down to get the promised experience, so they fall. You remember, this is from an insider's observation and knowledge, okay, and he was involved in ministry for a long time. Number two, people are told that they're going to fall down, and so basically, it's the power of suggestion or hypnosis. Many charismatic extremists are masters at hypnosis and psychological manipulation. They'll say something like, Jesus is here, he's going to touch you, you're going to feel something you've never felt before, and just receive it. He slaps their forehead, and down they go. So, psychological manipulation, power suggestion. Number three... People want to fall down. They want to honor their leaders or the pastor, which is a big thing in those circles, and they want the promised anointing <clears throat> that the preacher holds out to them. So they fall down hoping to have that spiritual experience. So it's kind of similar to reason number one that I gave. Number four, bottom line is people are faking it. Costi says He knows friends and family members who have admitted to faking it, sometimes just because the service has gone on for so long that they want to move things along and get it over with. So they go down and fake sobbing or writhing on the floor so that the service can come to an end. And then finally, number number five, uh, if none of those other reasons are in play, it is possibly demonic. Consider this, if a a false teacher who is preaching a false gospel who is being used by Satan to deceive people lays hands on someone, can that cause them to receive the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I don't think so. So here's the bottom line. If it's not in Scripture and it can't be supported by a proper interpretation of Scripture, then it's not legitimate and you should have nothing to do with it. And actually... Yeah, Liz stole my punchline. That was where I was going to mention Ananias and Sapphira. No, they were slain by the Spirit, killed anyway. Now, I want to go back to the gifts of the Spirit and how you can determine uh, your gift or what your gifts are. And you do have a spiritual gift. In fact, you may have more than one. Every believer has a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians twelve four through 7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So you have a gift, possibly more than one. So in order to figure out what your gift is, the first thing that you should do is start serving here at Crossway. Serve in the various ministries, from cleaning to the nursery to teaching to greeting, ushering, so on. You have an opportunity to serve, do it. Serve at the various events. Look for opportunities to serve individuals within the church. Everyone should be serving, and you should be willing to serve in whatever capacity you're needed. As followers of Christ, we should all be serving. Christ came to serve not to be served, and we should be doing the same thing, and that's what Peter says about gifts as well in 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So, you want to find out what your gift is, start serving. Serve, serve, serve. You'll never figure out what your gift is if you don't get started serving in some capacity, and then pray that the Holy Spirit who is the one who gave you the gift in the first place, pray that he will make it clear to you. Pray that the Holy Spirit will open doors and provide opportunity to use those gifts where he has gifted you. And if you pray according to his will, he'll answer in the positive. But while you're praying, don't wait for some divine revelation. Don't wait for a voice thundering from the clouds or for the Holy Spirit to whisper in your ear. You have the gift of mercy. Because that's not going to happen. Just start serving. And then here's the thing. As you begin to serve in different areas, your spiritual gifts will become evident. You'll begin to excel. You'll begin to flourish where you are gifted, and you probably won't where you're not gifted. And if your gifts are not becoming evident to you, which is not uncommon, they will become evident to the people that you are serving alongside and who are observing you in your service. And then you'll want to seek out confirmation from people and leaders who are older and wiser in the faith, Uh, no matter what. You may think your gifts are, we do need confirmation or possibly redirection uh, from more mature, experienced believers, uh, those who are more insightful. These people may also be able to help you in developing uh, your gift as well as point you towards opportunities to use them. But whatever you do, get started serving. Okay? Any questions? Yeah, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah? say it again Mhm. Mhm. Well, that's not re- but that's not a reference to the gift of tongues. And not the gift of tongues as manifested in Acts. Right. Okay. So, that's mm-hmm. well, we, when you're praying, the, you're enabled by the Spirit to pray according to God's will. As you are praying, the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf. <clears throat> and that is done in intelligible, uh, intelligible language, whether that's audible or, or silently. So, if you're praying in the Spirit, you're praying according to God's will. You're praying with the assistant and direction of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf. I would not say that that is a reference to speaking in unintelligible and unintelligible language. Okay, so my, my disagreement with that is that if you are speaking in an unintelligible language, how can you even know what you are speaking to God, what you're saying? It's, it's your, your mind is not engaged. Your heart is not engaged. But if, if you don't know what you're saying, then how can that be, uh, how can that be profitable or beneficial? And I think that's that's one of the reasons it says that when you speak, you know, it doesn't say they're praying. Doesn't say that they're speaking in tongues there doesn't say that they're speaking in tongues there. You're praying. You are praying by the empowerment and the guidance of the Holy Spirit when you pray. If you're praying, certainly if you're praying in accordance with God's will, and the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf at the same time. So We can talk about this later. So all the, it, it lists in acts all the people, groups that were there. And so the natural assumption is that those are the language that were being spoken. If you go back and read the account of Pentecost and all the people that were gathered there at Pentecost, those are the languages that were being spoken because those are the people that understood what was being said. So, yeah. All right. Anything else? Uh, I'm going to dismiss you guys. If you want to talk, we'll talk afterwards.